0: Hello, this is Rick Millenthal, and welcome to Voices of Resilience. We have here today from Sydney, Australia, Joe and Tommy Kennedy, both founders of the talented indie rock band Castlecomber. They recently released their debut album, and they were in the middle of a worldwide tour when the pandemic stopped everything in a matter of hours. Joe and Tommy, thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for having us, mate. Hi, Rick. Good to talk to you.
0: Now, the last time I saw you was in Columbus, Ohio. You came there to play Wonderbus. You had a great set. A couple of days later, Joe, you and I, and a couple of your bandmates, we played golf. It was a great time.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'd like to say that um, I took you for all you
0: worth, but I'm not that good at golf, so I'm sorry about that. <laughs> No, nah, it was it was a great time. So now you're back in Australia, and well, where exactly are you right now?
2: I'm currently uh, sitting in my house in Ashfield, which is in the inner west of Sydney. Sydney, Australia. Sydney, Australia. Tommy's currently down uh, down in the beautiful region of, what is it, Threadbow, Tommy? Yeah, Jindabyne, mate. Getting away. Yeah, we've been quite um, lucky in Australia, like, because... Because we're an island, big island, but an island, um, it's it's a lot harder to get the virus onto the island, um, and and we shut down pretty early, so it stopped a lot of the spread. So it's been pretty pretty contained. So they've so done a
0: pretty good job, I reckon. You were on world tour. Where where were you when everything stopped?
2: The virus was starting up when we headed over. And we just never, we didn't know what we were, you know, we just took kind of hand sanitizer with us and we were trying to kind of, you know, limit touching people and things, but we never realized that it'd get this intense and we'd have to, you know, get the hell out. I remember Tommy mentioning before we left that maybe we should consider calling it before we went over. And, uh, I mean, we never want to cancel shows on tour, but seeing where it's at now, it's pretty, uh, pretty reasonable for him to say that. How'd you get home? Um, well, Tommy, you, we all took different routes home. So what do you reckon, Tommy? How'd you get home? Yeah, we kind of, um, just based on what flights we'd already booked and could
1: change for, you know, a like standard price. We pretty well just went, most of the boys kind of drove towards LA, dropped the car and just took the LA flight home. But I went, I don't know why I did this. I can't even remember, but I went via, you know, I think Denver or something to LA and then home, but I was a day in front of them and the, um, the the people at LAX were pretty like LAX just had a pretty strange
2: vibe going on. So he flew and then the rest of us drove back to LA and I realized that I thought I could change the LA flight to LA to Sydney, realized that for some reason it wouldn't let me do that or it was going to be, you know, a thousand dollars extra. So I realized this when we stopped in Las Vegas for the night and i I booked a flight from Las Vegas to San Francisco and the next morning took that flight and got to San Francisco. And then my flight from San Francisco to Sydney was canceled. So I had to stay in San Fran for a an night, And then I had booked another one that went San Francisco, Honolulu, Sydney. But when I was, I was um, flying from San Fran to Honolulu, I got off the plane and there was this news article that said San Francisco shut down, you know, from two hours ago or something. I was, uh, I was pretty pretty happy to kind of be on the way home. You know, it's pretty scary to be in places that aren't your home when you yeah, absolutely in the middle of some you know something going down. So um, I was pretty happy to be at least on the way home, and even when I got on that flight from Honolulu to Sydney, I was pretty happy. But we all had to go into like lockdown when we came home proper two weeks quarantine. We weren't allowed to. Um, be in the same use the same bathroom as people or some kitchen and stuff you had to you know wear masks if you were ever in the vicinity of anybody it was all proper lockdown i wasn't allowed to leave the house for two weeks
0: hey let me go back to how you started you uh four of you were cousins uh the two of you and and, and beat and pack kennedy right mm-hmm. and uh plus uh joe neely uh who i think you just called neely right yeah we call him neil oh neil
2: yeah, friendly Neil. His name's
1: Friendly Neil, Big Dog Neil. He's infamous.
0: Yeah, well, well, he's a gentle giant.
2: We call him Babyface Killer sometimes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> How tall is he? Like six eight or something? What do you mean?
2: Oh, He says he's six seven, but I think he's underestimating. I reckon he's like seven foot five or something.
0: He's a big boy. Yeah, well I know he played golf with us and uh, yeah, I, uh he was <laughs> he, he was a giant of adventures as far as I was concerned. <laughs> <laughs> but, but all right, well so obviously the four of you cousins knew each other since birth, but you, you knew Neil for uh, pretty early too, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Neil kind of um well Joe and I are actually brothers, as in the two of us here, and then um right. we are cousins with beat and Pat. So our three dads, you know, uh brothers and then joseph um sorry neil went to primary school with Bede and joe um and then high school you know so he's been around yeah just he lives up the street from us he's been around forever
2: yeah he's his parents live a block from our parents so i mean you know you just uh he was in my soccer team when i was five years old and he played goalie he had he had insane
0: reach i bet well so when did you guys did you all get into music at the same time or How'd that all
1: happen? Yeah, pretty well. We kind of um, grew up in musical families and we had a bunch of random instruments around the house and things just... I don't even know how we really got those instruments, but there was just always a bunch of random, you know, dodgy guitars around and just random instruments. And we kind
2: of just yeah. started playing when we were young. And Yeah, it was... Um, especially the four, four cousins, we, we'd just be, you know, jamming around. And then, you know, we realised that Neil was... Really, quite good at piano and keyboard, and and, you know, we just liked him as a person as well. So, we just wanted to hang out. So, you know, Neil begged us to be in the band, actually. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, that's true.
0: (laughs) So, it was Neil's idea.
2: No, it was, um, it just happened. Just happened. We were just hanging out, playing, you know, got Neil along, and then started to do some gigs. It was was fun. Yeah, I look back on those times fondly. Yeah, it was.
0: Simple. I bet. Well, so you said a musical family. So what, your parents were musical or?
2: Yeah, well, Tommy Tommy and my dad's actually a music teacher, like in a school. So um, he just, uh, he was always a bit of a self-taught, you know, he could play pretty much every instrument to some level. And then he was really quite good at piano, you know, that kind of stuff. And mum's a fantastic musician as well. She's got a great, she's a great singer and, and stuff. And all the other boys had musical families as well, you know. So it was uh, it was pretty easy to, pretty, pretty easy to fall into it, that's for sure. So they
0: encouraged you? Oh, yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think they were just hoping we made it
2: big so we could pay for their retirement. That was the plan early on. Mum recently has just know. been showing me like, you know, beachside houses on brochures and just being like, oh, you know, how's, uh, how's that song going online? How's the band, to, mate? You, know? you doing well?
0: That's <laughs> Well, is that motivating? Oh, definitely. Mate, who wouldn't want to buy their mama beach house for show? So when did it feel like a band? How old were you? I guess in hindsight, when you look back, at the
1: time, we always felt like a band. Yeah. You don't realize that you're really not good when you start. <laughs> You know, but, um, looking back probably what,
2: 2012, 2011. Yeah. I mean, we played our first gigs in 2010, but I mean, we were just playing them to get free beer basically, I think.
0: What was that first gig?
2: Oh, we played in this bar called No, actually, no, Tom, the the Jaeger uprising at the Annandale hotel. Historic venue. Oh, you know, we shouldn't tell the police this, but Tom wasn't of legal age at that point. He was sixteen and the legal drinking age is eighteen in Australia. And uh, we just pretended, we just snuck him in. We were just like, Oh yeah, he's eighteen. It was like a music competition, but at this like legit dingy bar, you know, it was it was great. It was good formative time. We felt like a, I felt like I was a real stage. Yeah, look, it was a lot of friends and family back then, let's
1: be honest. Yeah. But that's always how
2: you start. So
0: So you started that way, you were performing in Sydney and then you started to perform professionally in Sydney, right?
2: Yeah. We were touring in Australia. Um, so we probably, uh, I, I wouldn't have the number of how many tours we did in Australia, but we were probably doing it. we probably did, you know, 10 or something. Yeah. A bunch, a bunch. Uh, but, you know, we we'd just kind of tour up and down the East coast, headed over to Perth a couple of times, which was on the other side of the country, in Adelaide. Um, you know, we just kind of built it up and we were releasing music you know, trying to get it played on radio here and,
0: you know, just hustling, just, just doing that music hustle. You started getting known in Australia. I think the Rolling Stone of Australia praised you as an amalgamation of emotion and unashamed catchiness.
2: Oh, <laughs> Nice. I mean, I haven't heard that in a while, but you know, I don't think I've ever read that, but I'll take it.
0: Yeah. Well, they wrote it, you know, That's nice. so you must've been, you know, and I agree, you uh, you have a very unique sound. And uh, then you started the a tour around the world, right? Yeah, we went to South by Southwest.
1: I think um, we'd heard about it or, you know, we'd always known about the festival and beat our singer, just, just said, let's give it a crack. And I think um, he just applied and we got accepted. And then I think the first year we did something like eight showcases in like six days or something like that. So, you know, more than one a day, sometimes two or three a day, or whatever. Um, just literally hustling to just get in front of as many people as possible. And then, you know, from that, we kind of to just we kind of started to get a bit of a leg up in the states. And we just thought, you know, let's get over there. That's where the it's where the action is. So.
0: so one of your first gigs outside Australia was South by Southwest.
2: Yep. Yeah, that was our, our first. Our first show.
1: Well, our first shows, I guess. Just getting there and just getting in front of people. and Also, our music at the time, or even now still, was kind of a little more... Even when we were touring in Australia, our music was just kind of being received a little better, mainly because of the population probably in the States. But, you know, it was just getting a bit more love over there, so we thought it seems like the obvious choice. Definitely.
0: What do you mean by population? Why, why, why do you think?
1: As in the streaming, like you can see um, your streaming numbers and, and where they come from pretty well. So we were seeing before we even came to South by Southwest that a lot of our you know plays were coming from America. So it's probably smart to go and chase that.
0: How would you describe your sound? I
2: think it would be guitar and synth-driven pop rock is what we'd probably call it as like a genre, I guess. Um, but for us, it's a lot about kind of like how it makes people feel and what it kind of, you know, as we said there, like energy, like we we try and put all the energy we can into music, especially our live performance, because, you know, it's just what we what we want to do. Like, you know, as in, you know, you kind of, you just want people dancing and enjoying themselves and because we're enjoying ourselves.
0: Do you remember that first song where you felt like we're a real band? We'd probably say fire alarm on a, on a large. Well, scale. I was gonna
2: say, in my mind, escapism was kind of the point where I was like, oh yeah, we're gonna be like a proper yeah, that's true, proper band like we're we're a rock band, you know. Um, but at the same time, when we were reco- when we were recording fire alarm, which is the song of ours that has the most streams, we were just kind of sitting there going like, this is a real, this is like this could take us somewhere kind of thing and it took us to America that that was the that was what it did for us you know mm. um, so that song for me and I'm assuming what you're saying there Tommy is you as well it's like a real kind of yeah. a moment for us, for us kind of changed for sure
0: Fire Alarm hit number six on its way to racking up Over 6 million streams, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's going well. It was uh, one of the many songs on your self-titled debut album. That was uh, in the fall of 2018 with Concord Records. That's what Razor & Tie became, Concord Records. And uh, that was a big event, wasn't it?
2: Oh, yeah, it was a massive moment for us. Yeah, it was just nice to get
1: a body of work out, you know, in an album format, which is kind of a little more, mature or i don't know how you put it
2: definitely was this like a big moment in our existence as a band it was like playing south by southwest you know we we'd released eps before this and the album was really a like our first you know everybody only gets one debut album so for us it was like a big big moment and we really were so happy we could get it out there you know get it finally in people's ears
0: yeah and how we wanted it to. You had a lot of other tracks on that album, all noise, move, leaving. Uh, Mike, my, my producer and I were just listening to that just as you were uh, coming on this uh, interview. Um, you got a favorite on that album?
2: Good question. I'd go with Apes. I love that song. I was going to actually say a similar thing. I really love Apes. There's so many songs on there that I really like. That's the other thing. We kind of wrote music that we liked as well, which is when I say you know, like we sorry, produced music that we we liked as well. So, um, I mean, I, I really love Make Love Make Music just because it's, it's also such a big anthem song that we play live. But as a song, you know, Favourite and Apes always stand out to me. Favourite, that kind of like nice ballad one. And then Apes is a real grooving kind of uh, pop banger. I reckon
0: you've got a new album, you're, I mean, how are you doing that remote from each other? Are you still moving forward on that? Can you create songs? Can you collaborate?
1: Yeah, we, um, we're pretty well just doing it remotely. So we've got a drive set up where we'll, you know, put the sessions for our music in and everyone can just re upload to the drive and add their parts. And then, yeah, it's, it's a little trickier than usual. Um, in that you have to kind of send it off rather than physically, you know, maybe jump in the room with your producer and kind of work through ideas. You've got to kind of just send it off and do that, you know, remotely, which is a little slower, but it's been interesting, actually. I think a lot of the recording um, process will change after this. People are now able to, you know, record from home because they were forced to.
0: So you think recording in general is going to change? For sure. For sure.
1: I mean, it's already been changing with, you know, technology just advancing and people being able to have any program on their personal laptop, but specifically because of this now, I think people go, hold on, we don't need to go to a
2: studio for, you know, 600 bucks a day just to, we could get this in at home. Yeah. Which it'll be interesting to see how that changes the environment of music really, because, you know, People like engineers and and producers have spent a lot of time honing their craft. Exactly. And, uh, you know, kind of taking some of the work out of their hands because it's needed at this point and then is cheaper in future. Like it could change the landscape a bit, you know, I reckon.
0: So you haven't found this to be something that has, uh, squelched your creativity.
2: It's certainly changed it. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, we certainly have to operate differently. I mean, um, Tommy's been doing some great writing. That, Like I've, I've heard some of the songs that he's recently uh, been writing and, you know, I think it's, if anything, probably helped his creativity a little bit, gives him a bit of time away to write some songs. But in regards to the collaborate, collaborative creativity, it's definitely been a teething period where we've had to work out how we're going to do it. And the obstacles that come with that, you know, how to overcome
0: them yeah Tommy you agree that it's helped your creativity
1: uh I mean it's helped in that it's forced you to write because I mean what else are you doing you know (laughs) but um I do love being in a room with someone in that you can get through what you could get through in half the time in that your explanation you can just physically show someone your idea and they can understand it immediately rather than here's an emailed version of this song and listen and let me know what you think and then you know the process is it's just different but i certainly like the um the concept of an ease of being able to sit with let's say a producer and the band in a room and figure it out right then and there while we're all together it's it's a little easier but you know there's it's good and bad good and bad parts about it all
0: i mean uh, you have been able to make a living as musicians uh, except of course off what you've already produced but as far as live performances in the last few months, what what have you guys been doing? You talking about uh, work? Yeah, yeah. What have you? What else you've been doing? You you've had to take some jobs, right?
2: Yeah. Well, some of us have. So the the thing that happened with us was like we were on tour, and, and the way it works is you invest a bit of money. Like anything, you invest a bit of money in um you know f- things that you need to tour, aka. A car and hotels and you know there's a, there's a whole whole lot of different things, instrument hire, all that stuff, and then you kind of make that money back on tour and then hopefully make a bit of a profit if you can towards the end. Um, so we having come, come back early, it, it kind of um, threw a bit of spanner in the works for us there, where we'd already invested the money, and it's not really a lot of those companies' responsibility to reimburse us for things that we're supposed to be using. So we all, you know, we're all a little bit um, aware that we need to make money so that we can tour next time and all this kind of stuff.
0: One of you guys are doing uh, uh, hospice care, right?
2: Yeah, that's me, mate.
0: Yeah. And that's because, I mean, is that something you're passionate about or that's just a job or are you involved in health? You say
2: I'm certainly passionate about it. Yeah. I, uh, I studied health at university or at college as you guys would say, <laughs> sorry, I don't mean, that sense. but, uh, uh, yeah, I studied health, uh, health science at university and then, um, uh, moved into home care after university because, you know, especially at the start before we started doing anything in America, you know, you gotta go make a bit of money to pay rent, um, whilst you're playing music. So yeah, I, I've done that for age. I've done that for probably almost 10 years now, really. Um, on and off. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it, it certainly, is, I have some fantastic clients who I work with that, um, you know, kind of really give me a, a happiness and a, it's very rewarding is what I'd say.
0: Well, let me ask you something. So you're, you're doing that and uh, everything stopped as far as the live performances. You, and you, you guys sound great. You're inspiring. You sound positive, but you know, there, there had to be moments when new, well, I shouldn't say that, but were there moments that it felt kind of dark?
1: For sure, man. Obviously, there's just a lot of personal things going on as well, but you know, people are at different places in their life and there's plenty going on. People's plans get changed, you know, big um, moments in people's life. And yeah, it's certainly hard to navigate your way through that. However, everyone's dealing with it, and almost certainly you're problem isn't the worst problem you know (laughs) it's the way to kind of look at it so everyone's in it together so just push forward
2: yeah I mean I find um this COVID-19 stuff is a big catalyst for as Tom said just before like change whether that be you change dates or physical change because you can't go outside or um you know even your own personal your mental health and stuff like, you know, uh, not uh, too much, but I've definitely found this time to be one of the most intense, uh, strains on my, on my emotions and my mental health. It's, 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 and it's very peaks and troughs. Like I'm in a, I'm in a good place now, which is fantastic. But you know, when you're, when you're in a room by yourself for two weeks, you know, you don't feel really fantastic or even when you can only see like two people kind of thing, you want to go see all your friends and, you know, we've been in America for a month and hadn't seen them for a month before that. So there's people you're not seeing for for four months, three or four months. And, you know, like that, that thing, that kind of stuff really kind of hurts me. I find because, you know, just, it's kind of sad. You feel, feel alone, feel, feel, uh, straight, you know, isolated, you know, for want of a better term, I guess.
1: Yeah, you know, like everyone, there's that old saying that, you know, before Corona, like everyone just wants their space and everyone wants to be alone at times, you know, really. And then you, you find yourself in a position where you're forced to be and then you're like, actually, that isn't the case, you know. That's not what, like people's company is so important just for the brain and just for, you know, having a different, like different, um, stimulus like all the time rather than just the same thing. It's so important, just keeping your brain going and active. And when you're missing that, you got to find other ways to do that. And that's kind of how people cope with it all, I guess. So many different, you know, tools that people use to help like podcasts or meditation or, you know, exercise or playing music or whatever. I think people, people finding out those things that help them, would, like this period would have been full of that. People just figuring out these things that they love to do that they have never given the time to.
0: How about your music? I mean, you're writing, Tommy. hmm Is it different? I mean, this is a whole different environment. You just talked about where you are. Is that changing what you're writing about?
1: Um, Maybe thematically, for sure, as in, yeah. I mean, I'm sure in six months when I look back at the songs I've written during this time, you would definitely be able to see some type of trend. Um, I'm not really purposely writing thematically about anything too much. Although there was one song we wrote uh, um, called Hysteria, which we don't know we will release, but you know, that that song was essentially, I think I wrote that literally as we got home. And the concept is it's just about, everyone's freaking out and how people manage it. So
0: you got to release that song. <laughs>
1: oh, <mate>. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see.
2: Hopefully soon.
0: you think a lot of bands might break up
2: coming out of this? I could certainly see how they could, honestly. Firstly, there's a few things. The passage of time is a massive thing because like, You know, you you sit there and you're at a certain stage when this starts happening, and then you're at a different stage at the end of it. You know, both individually and as a band, in regards to like how you're writing or how you're recording or or whatever, what assets you have, music and stuff. Um, And then also there's the other concept of like interpersonal, you know, or, or you're not actually interpersonal. Like where? Sorry, I was trying to divide it into the band thing and the individual thing. So the concept is you've got a, the band and they're in a different place at the beginning and at the end. And then the individual is a different place at the beginning at the end. So like, you know, you might sit there and be like, okay, well, I've, I've got a, I've, all, I've got a fiance and I want to get married now when I didn't have before the thing or, or I, you know, I'm really passionate about bacon bread or something, you know, like, and you're kind of in a different mindset. Could see how, and it could just be also just straining on people, surely.
0: I guess, you know, a band's like uh, any relationship or marriages, right? Yeah. Yeah. Probably the best comes out of you and, and many of the challenges come out of you too, right? Yeah. During times like this.
2: But also the challenges can make you better, though, at the same time. So, you know, I hope every band in the world comes out stronger in a way. That'd be great. If, you know, it could really be a catalyst for great music to be written and, you know, bands to be really solidified in in how they play and how they relate to the world and things like that. that'd That'd be a fantastic outcome of this situation for every band.
0: What do you think the future looks like for you guys? Mate, we're going to be the biggest band in the world. (laughs) <laughs> who knows i knew that already who knows
2: mate it's hard to know <laughs> yeah it's hard to know we just keep going currently what i'd say the future hold for us um is uh, another album coming uh, you know either the end of this year or early next year you'd think we're pushing hard more music more more content that's what's next but um i mean down the tracks all if you look down the track, our, our hope and our, our expectation is that we want to be successful. We want to be a band that people love and we want to continue, um, touring and, 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 um, and affecting people. Is what I'd say.
0: Anything you want to say about this album? How might it be different than the first one?
1: It'll be different. It's pretty like, it's actually very hard to match something. If that makes sense. Like it seems like it's easy. To, to do the same thing again, but it's actually hard in that time goes on, people play slightly differently, people write slightly differently. Like it, it's actually quite hard. So things just organically I find change. But yeah, this 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 album has, you know, quite a few different flavors, like from pop to rock to acoustic to you know. So that's that's something we wanted to kind of explore a little bit. Just trying a bit of a um varied sound so that we can kind of, you know,
0: grab everyone's attention, if that makes sense. Yes, that does make sense. You know, you guys were talking earlier about how a band, it's its like an organism, you, it's energy, and you all feed off each other, and then it all stopped. You were all in your homes remotely, and you kind of had to assess yourself as individuals, and it gave you maybe a pause so you could get a perspective on yourself, your place in the band, and a perspective on the band is Is that right Yeah, for sure things are kind of it's like a forced um not forced in a
1: bad way, but just like it's it's just it happens like you don't have a choice
2: just because of situational whatever. We also have quite a unique um, situation that we're in where oftentimes when we're off tour um, back in Australia or in America, like we we have these situations where it's, you know, you, you don't have rolling tours year round. So we'll be entirely, when we come home for Christmas and stuff, we entirely transplanted from our work environment, which is touring in America back home to Australia where we don't tour that much anymore because we're really concentrating on how, you know, we want, we want to be successful in America and, and really push out our American leg of things. So you come home for Christmas and for two months, you know, we're still writing and recording and stuff, but you don't have that intense environment of touring. So you're, you're consistently um, considering where you're at, where the band's at, you know what what we want our next step to be and kind of all those kind of things
0: any advice for up and coming bands
2: yeah i guess I, I would say keep writing
1: 10% of your songs or less will be good so just keep writing you know um and get on the road you know try try and when when you can again like get get on the road see what people respond to
2: try new things you know we often say to people who ask it, you know, we've had people ask us before, you know, kids in Australia who who are kind of family friends of ours and stuff. It's like, oh, you know what do you do? Um, writing is obviously a massive thing. I would also think that we often don't we often don't draw from our success. you know, you often look at your failures or, or, or things that you think you could improve about yourself and tell other people those things. I think a thing that we could often tell people that is a success that we've had is like building your live performance is a long journey and it is a craft. You know, and we spent virtually eight to 10 years doing that, working really hard to do that. And I think we often forget that it wasn't just a situation where you get on stage and you're a really interesting live band. You have to really work at it. So I would suggest to people as much as you can play in front of other people just to like be comfortable with it and improve your stage presence, your performance you know, do it. Yeah, I agree
0: for sure. Tommy and Joe Kennedy, you are awesome. I think you're going to inspire a lot of people around the world as they, uh, listen to this. I'm, we're, I'm just loving your energy. Um, and have this energy during this time. You're going to have a great future, man. So thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having us, man. It was great talking through stuff.
0: No worries, Rick. Thanks for having us. Hey, uh, uh you get to vote. Uh we're uh as we head out, we'll probably play one of your uh, songs. What what would you like that to be, you think?
2: Escapism, Joe? Yes, yeah, do it. Escapism.
0: Rock and roll, baby. Tommy and Joe Kennedy are co-founders of Castlecomer, along with their cousins Bede and Pat Kennedy and Joe Neely. Castlecomer is a five piece group from Sydney, Australia. Managed worldwide by the Elevation Group and represented by the Paradigm Talent Agency. For more information, follow the band on Facebook and Instagram or go to CastleComerMusic.com. Thanks for joining us.